Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Boom, there we go. Mr. Salatin, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Are you Matt? I am Matt. It is a pleasure to meet you. And we're going to get to uh, we're going to get to meet a person. We're both speaking at the Homesteaders of America conference this year. So I'm looking forward to meeting oh. you there too. Great. Good. Good. I'm, I'll look forward to that too. Yeah. It's going to be We've got uh, some mutual friends that are going to be there too. So we moved from California to this little place called uh, Brevard, North Carolina, and uh, bought a farm out here, and we um, were invited over by some lovely people named Justin and Becca Rhodes, and uh, ah. <laughs> I think you know them a little bit as well, huh? Yes, yes, absolutely. So not not bad uh, human beings, you know? So um, no, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful folks. They really are, really are wonderful humans. So um, super grateful uh, for, for taking the time, and again, excited to meet in person as, as uh, we come up here to October. Um, and I wrote something down that I saw that I loved, and it says, Joel is a self-described Christian libertarian environmentalist capitalist lunatic farmer. And I said, man, I, you know what? I'm not going to claim everybody on here is every one of those things, but I'll tell you what, you're in good company, sir. Very much so. Good. Thank you. Well, I, I put that together several years ago. I got... I got really tired of being, a, you know, um, I'd go and speak at all these, you know, organic, whatever, you know, ecology things. And it was just assumed that since I was uh, an, a, an or, quote unquote, organic farmer uh, and in that movement, well, I must be for, you know, abortion. I must be for, um, you know, big government and higher taxes and government solutions to everything. And I just got tired of it. So I said, instead of I. Instead of being all torn up about it, I'll just have fun with it. So I created that moniker for myself. And now it just it it just it just broadens that bridge and everybody smiles and it, it takes all the tension, takes all the tension out of the room. That's exactly right. I love it. I think it's brilliant. Well, like I said, I think you're in great company here and um and the listeners that we have that goes this goes out to you know six figure uh listenership as well and i think you're in very good company sir so no it's that's awesome i absolutely love it so just to make sure you've got full context you know tim kennedy and i launched apogee strong together so we have leadership programs for men and young men and so we've got some of our amazing men from around the world that are with us right now um, soon to be women young women launching 100 educational campuses in 2024 as well that serves uh the k-12 through students and their families and the focus is always sovereignty and freedom. And, you know, one of the months that has a giant focus on self-sustainability and some of the men are, are going through that right now. So we figured, you know what, who better to talk to than an amazing guy uh, who is also happens to be the godfather of sustainable farming too. So um, we'd love to start, you know, I think everybody, everybody here knows who you are, but I'd love to start just by hearing who Joel Salatin is in your own words, if that description previously didn't describe it well, and then we'll just have a fun chat and these guys are going to have some great questions too. Yeah, so in case anybody missed it, uh, I'm I'm the Christian libertarian environmentalist capitalist lunatic farmer. Um just to reiterate that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, we you know, we uh, we farm full time here in Virginia and I uh, have a family farm and uh with with a lot of non-family folks as well, basically building community 
uh, and our mission statement is to develop um, agricultural prototypes that are environmentally, ecologically, uh, I'm sorry, environmentally, economically, and emotionally enhancing and facilitate their duplication throughout the world. I love that. Environmentally, economically, and emotionally enhancing. In your, so this is, I've got to ask in your experience, which one of those three is the most difficult? Oh, man. Um, I don't know, probably economically. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably economically, but, but, but it, it, it only, only the economic part is only a problem because we have too much regulation, too high taxes, and too much uh, government bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. To work for that, I think the economic would probably <laughs> would probably go way down. Yes, but uh, when you have such interventionist interventionist government policy in the marketplace, it it skews everything. Uh, so it stacks a deck against you know um, against small players like us uh in you know in the marketplace but anyway that i'm I, and i don't i don't tend to whine over it sure. uh it's, it's just uh, it's just a matter of fact um that you know we that, that's our context it's the context we live in today it's not it's not the way it was 150 years ago when you could just you know hi, hire hire anybody off the street even if they weren't 18 years old and mm -hmm. you can work out your own uh, uh compensation plans and you can bring stuff to a marketplace and you don't have to worry about you know getting a license or complying with a bunch of um you know, regulatory uh, oversight, and you just, if you had an idea or a service or a product, um, you came to the marketplace, and the marketplace was uh, either, either, uh, either helps you or, or hurt you. I mean, it, you know, but, but it was all the marketplace, the Adam Smith, Adam Smith, invisible hand of the marketplace, yes, uh, as, opposed, as opposed to, um, you know, a political, a politicized uh, picking winners and losers kind of thing. Oh man. So you and I are speaking the same, very much speaking the same language. So even when I was in California um, and launching the, you know, we call them schools because that's what everybody knows where hey, kids go there all the time, but they were educational centers. They were true educational centers that had nothing to do with schooling as, as we know it, they got some of the academia in there as well, but they were focused on doing real world things. But one of my business partners uh, was a gentleman named Chris Roofer. And I'm not sure if you know who uh, Mr. Roofer is, but he is the owner founder and owner of Morningstar, um, and they're the largest tomato uh, growers in the world, um, packaging, shipping, and, um, you know, they, they do a lot out of the Central Valley there in, in California. They produce more out of California than the entire country of Italy. Um, but this is something that, you know, from a libertarian and free market standpoint, we went down this rabbit hole nonstop. And even developing the schools that we did, we were going, okay, how do we develop them in a way that doesn't tie us? to all these regulations that doesn't tie, that gives people some freedom in terms of like what we want to do and how we want to proceed. So how you're obviously wildly successful at this, but you're dealing with these regulations too. What, what are you doing to continue to be successful in dealing with this? Is it a, a matter of pushing back against regulation? Is it a matter of playing within, you know, playing in the gray space um, or is it just like, man, my hands are tied and I've just kind of got to go where, you know, the, the flow goes. What do you, what do you, how do you look at that? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I would say all the above. We, yeah. We've done all of them. We've, you know, look, you, you can't, you can't fight every battle. You have to pick and choose your battles. Some are worth fighting. Some aren't. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we, we've done that. We've, yeah, we've definitely pushed back. I mean, when, uh, 
Um, you know, our big showdown, uh, the, the single biggest showdown was, I don't know what, now it's been 25 years ago, I guess, when the government came and said everything that we were doing was illegal and and tried to close, you know, out, outdoor chicken processing, um, you know, selling selling beef by the, you know, by the half and a quarter, uh, you know, pre-sold to customers, um, all this stuff. And and um, we got our elected elected officials involved, both Democrats and Republicans. To the Democrats, it was the government trying to shut down an environmental farm. To the Republicans, it was the government trying to shut down an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you, right. you, you, you pick you pick your messaging, and uh, and both of them went to bat for us, and we you know we won that. But yeah, we we pushed back. We we became known at that time as the junkyard dog. And I was very thankful for my high school and college uh, years in competitive formal debate. I was on the debate team in both high school and college, and I uh, would recommend that to anybody. Um, and I think I think that that's a great foundation for not bowing to every bureaucrat that happens to come by. And so so we've done that as well. Um, and, and, and then, and then sometimes, I mean, uh, for example, at one, one time we had, um, you know, we had the bureaucracy come in and say, if you're going to process chickens, uh, we need to, we need to test your water and make sure the water's okay. And that was one that we didn't fight. We said, you know what, we, it, 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 we can't tell our, we can't tell people, we don't care if our water's okay or not. Yeah. That just, so, so I would say all the above, you know, we, we, we've, we've done the, we've done the pushback, we've done the compliance, we've done, you know, all sorts of things, but I will tell you that we are, and then, and then, and then I wrote a book about it. I wrote a book, everything I want to do is illegal and it has sold extremely well. Uh, and, it, and it's, it's, it's our war stories from all these things that we would like to do um, that we can. I mean, for example, we, you know, it's illegal for us. We have a sawmill. We have 700 acres of, of Appalachian hardwood, hardwood timber here on the farm. So we have a, we have a band sawmill. So we make our own lumber and stuff. That's fine. It, it, it's perfectly legal for us to cut and mill our own timber. We just can't turn it into chairs. If, if we make one chair and sell it, that's commercial and commercial manufacturing is illegal in an agricultural zone. So a lot of th- this isn't all just food stuff. It's zoning. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's all sorts of things. And, um, and, and so there's a there's a pretty so I wrote a book about it so that I could get on record as you know here's you know here's what's going on in the country and I've had numerous numerous uh, teachers say every high school student should read that book you know to help understand where we are and I've had plumbers and electricians and doctors and all sorts of people say every single profession could write a book like that about their profession uh, that that's how ubiquitous this um, this regulatory uh, regulatory interventionism is. And the final thing I'll just say is that that part of the pushback is that we I've worked with John Moody in uh, Kentucky to start the Rogue Food Conference. We've done six of them over three years. Uh, the next one's going to be in the Pacific Northwest. And the Rogue Food, Rogue, Rogue Food Conference is all about showcasing circumvention. You know, there comes a point when tyranny, when tyranny becomes so burdensome that Instead of instead of trying to figure out how to comply, it's actually more efficient to figure out how to circumvent. And we are at that point right now in our country. And so we are showcasing people who have figured out ways to circumvent these regulations and 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 service their communities, their neighborhoods with food uh, completely outside the government uh, um, the government uh, purview. And uh, 
and and these things are they're gaining steam we uh the last we had was here at our farm actually we we turned away 200 people because we couldn't accommodate we only we could handle 400 and we had to turn away 200 it's just really gaining steam uh partly partly as a result of the homestead movement the the whole uh, uh what i call the homestead tsunami is bringing more and more people to want to okay i've got two pigs i want to eat one but i want to sell one to my neighbor i've right. got you know, I've got I've got a milk cow, but we can't drink all the milk. Can I sell some to a neighbor? You know, it's these kinds of things that are that are bringing so many people into um, into an understanding that something that our forebears would have taken for well, of course you can sell a gallon of milk to your neighbor. Of course you can butcher a pig and sell some sausage to your neighbor. You know, um, uh, it, 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 it's 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 like a it's like an epiphany. It's uh, it's a it's a you know wake up moment when people realize oh you mean i'm a criminal if i you know sell sell some sausage to a neighbor nice. um you know th th it never crosses people's mind so anyway it, you know uh -huh. it, it's an exciting time and there's there's a lot going on so the rogue food conference is is a way to try to you know to try to handle some of that that is so i love that so much um you know again just the so many parallel experiences, you know, building out all these campuses in California, and we were building, you know, we started building in 2017, 2018, and we were running these in that gray space, kind of in that, what you said, you know, circumventing, right? We were running it in this space that allowed us to launch these campuses, but they were really more uh, from a legal standpoint of an educational, uh, like a home education co-op more than anything else. And what it allowed us to do is in 2020, as everybody started shutting everything down, we were saying, no, look, we actually operate this way. We were able to expand. We were able to create more opportunities for kids to not have to, you know, stay at home, just do Zooms. Like we, we were operating in that space to allow them to not be impacted by that. Um, and, you know, it was a massive thing. And so we did the same thing. We had a conference. Joe Jorgensen came out when she was running for president. She came out to one of our campuses, did her Northern California tour out there. And then we held this conference afterwards for people who wanted to launch campuses just like that to learn to circumvent. So what you're doing right there is so powerful. So I love the idea of your, you know, your books, things that you're writing, that the, the the videos you're producing, being part of a curriculum for young heroes to really understand what this looks like. What would you, and this is a real question, because we're launching a hundred facilities here uh, around this country in fall of 2024. And a big part of the learning for the young heroes is how to be self-sustaining. And how to get into that um, and how to know what you're getting into and the things to focus on. What would you say for young people getting in? What are the things they need? Yes, debate is a part of that. But in terms of like grassroots, look, man, I want to start understanding this whole homestead movement and, and supplying for myself and for my neighbors. Is there a good starting point? Um, does it depend on where you are in the country and what you have available to you? What would you say to that as far as like actual education from the for these centers? Well, there, I mean, there's no education like experience, that's for sure. Yeah. And and we have, you know, as as a nation, we have um, we have made the practical academic. And, and mm. as a result, we've got uh, we've got. Uh, paralysis by analysis yes. we've got people that can make spreadsheets and don't know how to put in a fence post we've got people who who can who can make uh five business plans but don't know how to pull the guts out of a chicken and so so um 
So, you know, uh, in addition to, uh, sure, you know, um, I'm a big reader. I mean, there's a body of, there's a whole body of information, you know, permaculture and homesteading and uh, five acres and independence and and self-sufficiency. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that out there. You can read that, you know, forever. I mean, I, I just wrote a book for, for this whole movement called Polyface Micro. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the book. It's a livestock book to scale down to a, a mini scale. Everything that we've done here at our farm at scale, uh, because I started, you know, as in my speaking and, and presentations, I started having so many people come up to me and say, "Well, but I don't have a hundred acres. I've only got five acres. I've only got three. What what can I do on five, six, seven acres?" And um, and and realizing that there's a, a huge need there. So even one of the chapters is how to have chickens and rabbits in a Manhattan apartment, um, where you, you know where you don't even have land. And so um, so I wrote that book. And then, um, but but there, there's there's a whole body of information about this homesteading stuff. But but the main thing is you know you got to you got to start. I mean I just had a phone call uh, two days ago from a guy who. Um, He's he's jumping into pastured chickens, and he went out in the morning, and he had 540, uh, 540 meat chickens in a brooder, and went out in the next morning, all of them were dead but forty, and oh no, what you know what happened? They were healthy the night before, and they're all dead this morning, and it was heat, you know, he, he let them get too hot, yeah, um, and but but you know uh, until <laughs> until you've done that. Yeah, I, I, I keynoted the uh, the National Aquaponics Conference a couple of uh, several years ago, and they have this saying this saying that until you've killed ten thousand fish, uh, you you're you're, you're you know you're not an expert. Mastery takes, and that's the way that's the way life is, right? I mean, you can't make a horseshoe until you've been up a bunch of them, a uh, blacksmithing. You can't build a fence until you've had posts pull out of the ground. You can't uh, build a concrete. You, you can't build a wall until you've had concrete all over your hands and britches and everything else. Uh, so, 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 you know, um, that experience. Uh, nobody can take that experience from you, and so. My my thing is start somewhere where you are with what you have, and if that's nothing more than a vermicomposting kit under the kitchen sink, uh, that's fine because there's something wondrous and magical that happens when you viscerally participate. Look, that we've been told for the last whatever five, six, seven, eight decades. You don't have to participate. You don't have to do chores. You don't have to have a garden. You don't have to. You don't have to uh, uh, be in the kitchen and make anything. You just trust us to lunchables and hot pockets and TV dinners and squeezable Velveeta cheese, and, and and you go watch your football games, take your Caribbean cruises, go to your soccer games, and 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 life will be good. You just you just trust us for everything. Then along came a black swan, two black swans in a row. We had, or, or maybe three. We had we had COVID, uh, we had uh, Putin invading Ukraine, and we have George Floyd in Minnesota and defund the police and burning down our cities. Th three major societal events in a row, and suddenly what happened? The store shelves were empty. The supply chains broke, and guess what? We found out that all those promises of freedom to go watch the watch the tv were actually enslaving us to a dependency of a fragile a fragile supply chain all much of which had nefarious nefarious agendas 
And so if there's one thing we've learned from the last three years, it is you cannot have freedom without participation. Bingo. You've got to get down in the trenches. You've got to shovel. You've got to work at it. You've got to work at freedom. Freedom doesn't just come because you're sitting eating nachos, watching a football game. It comes when you participate. I, you are, uh, I've always had a lot of respect. You're one of my favorite freaking human beings on the planet. Um, right. I tell you this right now, it's, uh, we were speaking the same language, my friend, this is, uh, this is the concept. This is it. This is my, this is my beef with schools is that we don't give the young heroes experience. We give them the, the, uh, you know, the story of somebody else's experience. We give them the academic academia. I love what you said, you know, five business plans, but you don't know how to, you know, work on processing these chickens. And I mean, I'll tell you what, I've had MBAs, you know, give us all the business plans in the world and they've never even run a freaking business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And telling me that my businesses that are doing, you know, I got a business that's doing eight figures and they're like, that's not going to work. And I'm like, how many businesses do you, do you own? And like, I've never owned one. I'm like, but good, you're an MBA. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, but it's that 10,000 iterations. Like you said, it's that getting in there and getting your hands dirty and the freedom that it is the only way it is the only way that freedom becomes possible in any sense of the word in any category. Um, you are so freaking spot on and it's the mark of a true educator, man. So I'm so, I am so appreciative of that. So, and gentlemen, by the way, I know you guys are going to have questions too. Mr. Trebolsky is very smart. He already has his hand up. If you gentlemen are hearing something, you have questions, get them up so that I'll be, otherwise I will talk to this man for the full hour. Um, and it'll be the easiest thing I've done in a long time. Um, so I do want to ask one before I open it up to Mr. Trebolsky. So I'm full agreement. Do what you can where you are. We knew we wanted a farm. We were in a suburb of California. We moved ourselves to bigger and bigger properties. So we had a little ranch there. We now have a, a multi-acre farm out here in the mountains of North Carolina. Very intentional. Um, for the guys that are listening to this and for the listeners who are in that apartment in Manhattan, what is kind of that entry i know you mentioned kind of you know hey rabbits and you mentioned the compost and you mentioned what what do you say for those guys that are in that spot what is a starting point that's realistic you think for for the majority maybe yeah well uh obviously it depends a lot on your on your resources i mean obviously if you have a yard you can do things that you can't do if you don't if you don't have a yard yes sir but um but let, let let's just start um let, let's assume that you don't have anything that you're in a condominium all right and you don't have anything what are some of the things you can do well, number one, um, uh, you you can you can raise, you know, you can get rid of the uh, of, of the television and the entertainment center, and in that same footprint, you can put three chickens. Three chickens will eat all of your kitchen scraps and lay you eggs. They'll convert your kitchen scraps into eggs. Now you don't have garbage, and you have your and you have your own eggs. You save two ways. And the neat thing is. If you've got teenagers in the house, nothing is a better role model than a chicken. They wake up real early in the morning. They're always happy to spend all day working. And as soon as the sun starts to go down, they go to sleep. I mean, there can't be a better role model for a teenager. Yes, sir. And, and, and so, so, uh, and, and, um, and rabbits, um, you know, rabbits are very, very quiet. There's nothing that produces more meat per pound, uh, on, on things th than rabbit and they're quiet. And so, um, so, you know, a rabbit chicken combination is really good. Obviously you can sprout, you can do bean sprouts and monk, you know, uh, in the, in the, uh, windowsill. 
uh, in a quart jar. Uh, there's all sorts of those kind of kits. You can have a vermicomposting uh, kit that's the size of a basketball under your sink and just start with the magic of, of worms and that kind of recycling. Um, so, you know, there are there are absolutely things you can do. Now, if you have a patio or a porch, there are all sorts of cool hanging, hanging PVC uh, vertical gardens with little pouches in. You can grow all of your own herbs. Uh, you can even hang that outside the window of your house. Um, you know, you can imagine Venetian blinds, Venetian blinds with uh, with gutters and and compost and soil in them that you that you have on the side of your house as a vertical. Okay, so mm -hmm. you, you have troughs, troughs hang on the vertical side of your house and all that vegetation cools the house so you don't have to run your air conditioner. The vegetation evapotranspirates, uh, cools the cools the air. So that so that you shut your air conditioner down and you reach out your windows and you pick cucumbers and, and tomatoes um, from, from from the gutters hanging on the side of your house or, or the size of your, your, your thing. Um, also, don't underestimate the power of, of just asking for things. I ran into a lady in uh, in uh, in a big city. She lived in a condominium. She went to the to the uh, owner and said, uh, I'd like to have a, a little, could I have a 10 foot by 10 foot square to grow some garden in, uh, over on the corner of the, you know, the shared space. He said, sure, go ahead. And so she put a little 10 by 10 garden in. Well, it was such a, it's such a huge hit in the whole uh, area that before you know it, he turned the entire, uh, landscaping of the entire condominium complex over to her and she switched it over to edible landscaping got rid of the ornamental trees put in apple trees pear trees peach trees and and and, and turned the whole thing into a food forest uh uh you know just just by asking for a little postage stamp spot to grow something and make it pretty and so there, there is there is a huge, um, you know, emotional therapeutic uh, um, level of of healing that comes with being surrounded by abundance. We live in a time where people are scared to death of, of scarcity, and, and what we need to do is is bring a a visceral uh, um, representation of abundance into their lives to give them some emotional uh satiation and so so you know so here we are um you've got your you've got now if you've got it got a little bit of backyard uh, obviously then you can go to edible landscaping you can you can go to raised beds i'm a big believer in raised beds mm -hmm. uh because because they clearly identify what's garden and what's not so it's child friendly you know if, if you just have a flat garden the kids toddlers and stuff can get in they're constantly tramping through the garden and the next thing they're going to pull on up your carrots and whatever so so a raised bed gets you gets you child friendly to where the kids can be with you and it's very clear what what they can get in and what they can't get in very very um clear boundaries and, and so um so those are just some things you can do the, the other the other huge thing i'm a fan of uh is a solarium on the south side of your house now you know this might not be necessary if you're in florida or, or south louisiana or or uh, you know, uh, uh, down in uh, the, you know the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, but um, but if you're if you're anywhere where it frosts, where it gets chilly uh, at night, I mean we have a you know we're here in Virginia, um, we have a house built in in uh, 1790. It's an old American chestnut log cabin. That's what we live in. But we have a state of the art uh, cedar built, nice, pretty uh, solarium on the south side. Not only does it save us a lot of heating in the winter time with you know, with the with the uh, the solarium, but we can grow things in there uh, throughout the winter, 
especially cold stuff like lettuces and and um, you know broccoli and things like that that are that are cabbage that are cold hardy uh, throughout the winter. And um, and so we get we get both we get pass, passive solar and we get our vegetables, uh, you know, cold hardy vegetables throughout the winter and don't have to get them anywhere else and don't even have to, you know, don't even have to freeze them during the summer. So um, to me, every single house should have a southern solarium on it. And then suddenly nothing has to be trucked from California. Uh, right. There's no reason to truck lettuce and mescaline mix from California to Maine in, in, in the winter. Uh, you grow it yourself on your solarium. Oh, so good. So you guys, so much, so much opportunity. It just happens to be disguised as work. Sometimes it happens to be disguised as personal responsibility. Yeah. And therein lies the issue for some. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, so good. I love this man. Mr. Trabolski, jump on in, sir. Man, man. Mr. Salatin, this is a blessing. And thank you so much for just how you show up and what you stand for. I've got about a hundred questions. I'll I'll limit it to ninety nine. So, um, <laughs> for, and you've touched on it, but you know when your farm is running uh, smooth and how you want it to, what what is the biggest threat or worry to your farm right now? When you lay down at night, what are you worried about? Because I'm thinking in my head, government overreach, contamination of water, contamination of soil, all the attack, blatant attacks on our food system. So what is it that keeps you awake at night in, in relation to keeping your farm the way you want it? The single, single biggest um, threat is, is government regulation. Uh, and, it, and it comes from all sorts of things. You know, it can be because it, it can be as simple as not having the proper, you know, we, we do a formal apprenticeship and stewardship, and stewardship program here. Um, you know, the, the INS can come in and check your paperwork and maybe you don't have a proof of proof of U.S. citizenship for one of your apprentices. Um, you know, you just you just didn't get it. Suddenly, you know, you've got a ten thousand dollar fine because you don't have your paperwork in order. Um, maybe, maybe it's you, you know, you, you, um, you, whatever, miscalculated workman's comp uh, one one moment, and suddenly you're, you know, and, and all this stuff you're guilty until proven innocent, uh, or you suddenly some some red flag. We had a red flag a couple of years ago and got um, audited for um, for our our workman's comp. You know, ten ninety nines, ten night subcontractor stuff is just uh, through the roof. You know, it used to be you only had to turn in you know uh, two or three a year, and now literally. If if you if you come on here as a subcontractor and you even uh, you you and you just inhale, <laughs> you you got to get a ten ninety nine. So we send out these you know dozens and dozens and dozens. And the thing is, you know it, it can be it can be simply an honest mistake, oversight, whatever. But the government doesn't. Uh, they don't say, yeah, you know, you're human. We understand. People make mistakes. That's fine. Just send us the right paperwork. We'll be fine. No, no, no. Suddenly you're you know you're in this 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 labyrinth of of, of uh, bureaucratic uh, penalties and 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 back charges and i mean it, it's just yeah so i won't bore i won't go into you but but you know um but for sure it's it's that sort of thing that because uh, you know we push the envelope i mean we do you know we do a lot of gatherings here uh in fact should i talk to you guys about maybe doing a a national gathering here uh where where people come together and we we and and i'm sure i'm sure 
that somebody that wanted to cause us trouble could could say that we should have a permit for these or some sort of special you know dispensation from the county we haven't said a word we don't say anything we've done this for now for for years and we have hundreds of people here they 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 inject lots of money into the local economy because they got to buy gas you know spend money in a hotel room um but but uh uh, uh you know, uh, trouble troublemakers. I don't know if you've ever seen the the TV program. What I think it's called Neighbors from Hell or something like that. And, uh, and we, you know, so so one of the things that we do is we give the neighbors, you know, Thanksgiving turkeys. We give them Christmas turkeys. We 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 do stuff in the community um, to to essentially purchase goodwill. Um, um, you know that this this is. You know, self-serving, self-serving goodwill equity, but um, but you know, it it lets us it lets us have a pass on some on some things that folks could be upset about. Super smart, and they're coming at you because you don't need them, so you get the extra attention, right? I mean, that's the crazy part. Well, what well what what we do what we do uh, is a threat. Uh, is a threat you know people say well this is people that come and visit so this is also easy and simple why didn't everybody do this well because everybody did that would do this it would completely invert the power position prestige and and profits of the entire food and farming sector in the world mm-hmm. and that's a big shift to turn around so there's a there's a lot of threat here that that's one element of it uh that that's the kind of the conspiracy you know negative threat the other is that there are a lot of people that actually believe that um, that if we don't, you know, if we don't um, submit or or seek uh, government approval for, you know, every time we want to, you know, pee outside, um, if, if we don't seek that, then somehow we are we are creating a template of of abuse roguishness um um miss i mean you know n- name it okay uh whether it's you know bad food bad experiences abuse of people whatever and and um and so and those people are are sincere minded they actually believe that businesses uh exist to hurt people and um and and, and so you know you, you have that mentality so you know one's kind of negative and one's positive but but they both they both end up um you know being you know, being uh, a problematic for just living your life and um, and offering and offering to meet the need of of food, of information, of stuff that that people are. De- you know, nobody holding a, holding a gun to somebody's head and saying you got to go visit Polyface. Um, it's all it's all voluntary. And and in a in a day of uh, when we've when as a society. You know, we're wanting the government out of our bedrooms. We're wanting them out of our out of our abdomens. Uh, you know, abortion. We, you know, we, 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 people are are wanting them out of their out of their pleasure to be able to have their marijuana whenever they want. You know, it's amazing to me that that in a time when when choice reigns supreme and consenting voluntary adults are asking for for unfettered choice, that in in areas of of food, um, the government. We don't have a consensus on, but welcome to rural America. Welcome to rural America. I was just telling them we had the same thing yesterday. We get my wife and I get a text message that says, 
uh, like previously notified, we're going to be shutting off your power. And we went, when is this happening? And then right as we got the text message, power is gone. So <laughs> and it was out for like four hours. So yeah, too many mentions of the government, huh, AJ? That's right. And so they're just like, nope, we're shutting this man down. That's so funny. So sorry, so we we lost you when you were you're, you were just talking about you know kind of in this time of choice. Yeah, you say in the you know in, the in this, Yeah, yeah. In this time of choice, apparently nobody considers it an an invasion of privacy when the government gets between my lips and my throat. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Dang right. And, and, and then and then I saw everything freeze, and I said, "Uh oh, um, uh, we're we're out for a minute." So here we are. Okay. We've got it. Mikey T, are, are you? How, I'll let Darren go. If there's time at the end, I'll jump back in. Okay. You jump back in with your 99 on the other side and uh, it'll be solid. All right. Mr. Jansen, how are you, buddy? Fantastic. How are you doing? Excellent. Mr. Southen, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, it's a bit of a personal question. We just moved down to a few acres in Middle Tennessee. As far as work versus reward in the economics of it, where would you start? homesteading to like turn a profit on chicken you mentioned chickens goats pigs what would be what would be the best play as if you wanted to start trying to make some income off your land hmm. okay um and i'm, I'm looking away because i'm making notes i'm a i'm a prodigious note taker so i gotta i gotta make some notes um so so uh two things two things one the first thing the most valuable that your that your endeavors can be is to eliminate your cash income requirements mm. because every dollar you save is worth about a dollar forty or a dollar fifty because you don't have to pay taxes on it. So the whole one one of the one of the the nuances of homesteading is to see how little you can live on mm. because um because that that defunds the government if we want to defund something let's defund the government and, and so um and so that's why when you when you make your own food whether it's milk chicken eggs green beans whatever when you make your own food that's your first biggest um um income because you are because now you don't have to earn a lot of money, you know, to make an income. If if you if you can supply seventy five percent of your groceries, for example, you know, to the average the average American family of of four people, that's that's going to be a savings of at least ten thousand dollars a year. That's ten thousand that you don't have to earn. Now you've got a little more wiggle room, or if you're earning it, you can put that in savings for a nest egg for something else. So. So anyway, the, the first thing is is to feed yourself. Feed yourself first. So where do you start there? When you look at your grocery bill, you say, what are we spending our money on? And whack the biggest stuff first. You just start, you know, this is the Dave Ramsey snowball idea. You know, you, you, you start whacking away at what you're eating. Now, once you have that accomplished, once you have that accomplished, then you start looking at, all right, so now how can we start uh, uh, making money on this thing? Then obviously, there, there are some rules. Uh, the, the first rule is that there's no free lunch. And so the, and so the, the bigger, the bigger, the animal, the less income per acre, but the less labor per acre, the smaller, the animal, the more income per acre, but the more labor per acre. Okay. So a, 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 a beef cow, for example, returns the least amount of income per acre but takes the least amount of labor per acre mm -hmm. because they just 
you know, eat grass, you move them around and, um, uh, you know, and I, I suggest moving them, you know, daily or every couple or three days to a new paddock. I won't go into that right now, but anyway, your beef is, is only, okay. Um, and, and then, and then you go on down to sheep, uh, pigs, turkeys, chickens, guinea pigs, <laughs> uh, you know, rabbits, guinea pigs, and uh, escargot, okay. I mean, you can make you can make uh, half a million dollars an acre, you know, raising escargot. Um, but 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 an acre of escargot is a lot of escargot, okay. Uh, it might you might have to employ two people or three people to do an acre of escargot. Uh, you know, um, and there, there's obviously I'm not in, encouraging everybody to raise an acre of escargot. All I'm saying is that that the principle the principle is important. So if you have a small acreage and you're wanting to make a profit. What you want to do is you want to intensify the um, because you're short on land, supposedly higher on labor. And so what you want is you want to intensify the labor on the land with a smaller animal so that you can increase your income. Now, that can that can be growing produce as well um, and and or, or doing orchard. All of those things are fine. Or you can grow an orchard and you can run chickens under the orchard or sheep under the orchard. Then you get to the permaculture idea of stacking, stacking your enterprises. So, for example, on our farm, you know, we run cows, sheep, um, broiler chickens, egg layers and turkeys on the same on the same acre at different times. But you stack all those enterprises together, and suddenly, you know, we're seeing a, a, an income of twenty thousand dollars an acre by stacking these complementary enterprises on that same land base. The same thing can be done with with uh, with produce. You you can have you can have garden, and then you can have uh, uh, grapevines up above, you know, uh, widely spaced so that you can run, for example, chicken shelters down between the vineyard rows. And then you can have apple trees. Uh, grapes love some shade. So you can have your apple trees uh, up above the uh, up above the vineyard. And then you can have hardy pecans or Carpathians, English walnuts. Uh, you can have those uh, open canopy trees on up above the orchard. And so you stack these in, um, you know, in, in, in complementary uh, fashion so that you're farming vertical. If you have a hoop house, for example, in our hoop houses uh, where we have the, the layers in the wintertime, um, we can run pigs on the floor, put uh, with our sawmill, we can make uh, mezzanine tables that we put in there as a mezzanine floor. The chickens can go up there, have their eggs and their, and their, their fragile stuff. Pigs can be on the floor and, and the chickens can be up above. And then you can put rabbits down the side. So you're, you're, actually, you're actually using the vertical space of the hoop house rather than just the linear floor space. That way you don't have to concentrate the 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 different animals the different things you don't have to concentrate them so heavily because you don't have to pay for the infrastructure with just one enterprise mm. so so if, if you run if you run you know uh 30% pigs 30% of the chickens and 30% of the rabbits that you would in a in a single species uh confinement facility you're getting 120% of the production but none of the diseases or pathogens or problems because all of the species act as dead end hosts for pathogens and toxins and and um and you don't have the concentration the host concentration factor uh so so 
So this is how you this is how you greatly, you know, um, um, accentuate. I mean, look, you know, we've got uh, if you if you run, uh, for example, chickens, chickens underneath rabbits in something the size of a of a glorified two car garage, uh, you're looking at a at a ten to twelve thousand dollar annual uh, um uh, margin uh, on that, not not gross, but 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 in but actual profit margin, and so um, and so so think about complementarity stacking, and then finally I would say, do what you enjoy. Look, you know if you don't enjoy, if you don't enjoy rabbits, don't do them. If you don't enjoy chickens, don't do them. Uh, but just realize that um, that it's the smaller animal. That actually returns the greatest amount per square foot. The bigger the animal, the harder it is per square foot. Then once you get that done, that's production. Then you add value adding. You start looking at processing, and you say, okay. So instead of if all I've got is a small acreage and I can only raise you know two thousand broiler chickens a year, for example, because I've only got you know two acres or three or three acres um well then then uh what can i do to value add those chickens so then you can you can cut them up that doubles their value to do parts and pieces um maybe maybe you have an on-farm uh, dinner at a hundred dollars a plate and you offer you know uh um uh, a chicken a chicken dinner i know people that that do a, like a monthly on-farm dinner a hundred bucks the plate and they get 50 50 people uh, 50 times 100 is $5,000. You do eight of those a year, $40,000. Just just having people come out to a farm to, to, to don't call it a farm dinner, call it a homestead dinner. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, if, if you're if you're real small, don't don't say you're more than you are. OK, uh, but be authentic, be credible. And, and and value add and and um you know if you're growing if you're growing uh, uh, uh corn you know don't just sell uh ear corn um let a bunch of it dry grind it into uh um flour and make cornbread and suddenly you take that you take that uh one dollar worth of corn and you've just turned it into ten dollars worth of cornbread um and that's how you value add so you you so you start by feeding yourself and then you and then you intensify and then you stack and then you value add absolutely brilliant what do you think dj fantastic thank you i'm just making notes yeah man absolutely absolutely brilliant all around oh so good oh mr mr there's so much i want to say but mr gates go ahead sir <laughs> this is our all newest right. farmer Yes, yeah, the newest farmer here. Um, so, Joel, appreciate the time. And I think I'm going to try to build off of your analogy you just used there. Uh, so wife and I both left our careers of 20 plus years and started our own business, which happens to be an organic uh, sourdough bakery. And ultimately, the bakery is kind of the cash flow underpinnings for a larger venture that we want to get into, uh, wherein we bring other local producers, farmers, et cetera, and we use our distribution network, which is 100%, uh, you know, internet ordered and then delivered uh, to the directly directly to the customer. So ultimately, what we want to do is to be able to bring in other producers and makers and help reduce their overhead of a distribution network and also give them a greater reach. Uh, similarly to like an Instacart type model, but wherein Instacart makes their cash flow on fees, subscriptions, and markups on goods our underpinnings of the bakery 
And then also on the meat product side of things is going to be our cash flow uh, for that business so that we don't have to dip into the farmer or the producer's pocket to uh, reduce their uh, profit margins and also give them a greater reach. So I, I guess for me, trying to give you that synopsis in, in 60 seconds to be able to get 120 back from you on what advice you might have as we're new entrants into that production market and going to these farmers, these producers, and working with them and showing them the appeal of a almost no-cost distribution network where they can actually increase their gross margins on products, hopefully increase their reach and their breadth, uh, not just in distance, but seasonality as well. Uh, you know, our area doesn't have full year-round farmers markets, um, and, you know, it can be a 45 to an hour, minute, hour drive to get to a location to pick up those small locally produced products. And so, you know, it's our intent and our hope to be able to move yeah. those premium products without having to put too much of a premium on price to where they price themselves out of a competitive marketplace. Yeah. So a couple questions. Are you, are you running delivery trucks? Uh, yes. So what we do is we partner with places like chiropractic care facilities um, our largest contract that we'll be pulling on here in September is actually going to be for a 500 resident uh, retirement and, uh, I guess, senior living center. Um, and so our reach is mainly through those kind of aligned alternative healthcare type facilities and living facilities uh, where we believe that market would already be there. Uh, are, are you are you selling? Are you selling um, to individuals within that facility or are you selling to the facility itself and it then uses it in its uh, dining services to the residents? Both, both models. In the high density living centers, we're selling directly to the living centers and also selling to the individual uh, at about an 80-20, 80% uh, to, the, to the facility, 20% to the residents. Um, in the uh, remaining kind of swath of our business is direct to the consumer. Okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, the nice thing is that sourdough, that bakery, bakery items are the least regulated of all the food items, except for fresh produce, fresh mm -hmm. produce, you can pretty much sell, a, you know, you can sell a green bean, uh, anywhere in the country, pull off the side of the road. Nobody asks, nobody says anything. You can sell green beans. Um, but uh, but as soon as you get into meat, uh, poultry, dairy, um, you're getting into a different. Obviously, you're getting into perishability. The other thing about baked items is they're they're low perishability. Um, so so I, I want you to think very clearly that what you've enjoyed so far. And listen, um, hats off to you. You know, I, I salute you. you. Obviously, you've got a lot of savvy and a lot of entrepreneurship, man. You know, um, um, I, I want to partner with you. Uh, so and that, that's all a good thing. But I am, I am going to uh, tell you not to be a you know Debbie Downer, but I'm going to tell you that there is that that as soon as you add uh, perishable uh, high perishability and you know it, it, if the, if those green beans come out of refrigeration for on a hot day even for three hours, uh, you've just lost your green beans and they're not very forgiving. And so what what you've enjoyed so far is the most forgiving end <laughs> the most forgiving end of the food of the food space bake baking is by far the most forgiving end of the food space all right uh, not not only in its uh, lack of perishability 
but it's it's lightness and being able to deliver. You get a lot of volume on a on a truck, and um, and and very low very low government regulations. I mean, I'm sure you probably you're probably using a commercial kitchen of some sort, so you probably have some licensing there. But but it's 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 pretty low. Um, you don't you don't have to have a bunch of HACCP plans and those kinds of things. So, yeah, and that's our our first kind of you know we're going vertically as far as the integration at first. So we've got a producer for honey, a producer for butter, olive oil, all local producers that we're pulling in first because they just naturally go with the products and we use a lot of their uh, you know, products in hours. Um, and then on the meat side, uh, that's where we're going in both prepared and, you know, frozen portioned, et cetera, uh, that we were going to go into next, um, just because of the margin side. And that will be a, another cash flow business to be able to support the other ones. And then just continuing to branch out there both vertically and then horizontally, just based on our geographical area. Yeah. Well, um, uh, just just realize that that there there's going to be um a lot of additional uh infrastructure both mm-hmm. but both the uh, licensing and uh, and physical uh around around things as you move into these spaces beyond beyond the bakery um and and i i think that i think in general you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to do this at anything less than about a uh, a 30% markup. If you think you're going to do this for any of your your partners in less than a 30% markup, I think you're kidding yourself. Okay. So you you need to think about that in your in your pricing because that that delivery driver and that gasoline and that truck uh, they're getting more expensive by the day. And um, and and so so for just just for just so you understand all of our delivery, we take our price. And we add 55 cents a pound to it across the board, every single thing, because we also collaborate with other farmers in the area, other artisans, a sourdough baker <laughs> in the area. And, and, and everything, everything that we take for somebody else, uh, we add 55 cents a pound to whatever our price would be here at the farm store. Because We have a farm store. People can come and buy a retail store. Everything gets marked up 55% when it goes on that truck uh, due, due to the cost of, of delivery and, and labor and all that. I'm at 55 cents a pound. No, it's great. I appreciate that. And then I guess the second thing, you know, obviously having the knowledge and experience there, is there a mechanism by which to reach out to you guys and potentially, uh, you know, arrange a more in-depth or a longer discussion about that with someone on your team or in your organization that might have some experience to share? You, you mean from a consulting standpoint? Yeah, uh, kind of soft consulting, just some advice. Yeah. Uh, well, you you can uh, you can email me anytime. Okay, I appreciate just, that. Thank you very reach, much. Reach out to Polyface Farms. Uh, reach out to Polyface Farms um, at gmail dot com. And Wendy, uh, Wendy's our screener, and she uh, she she channels everything to the appropriate places. And you know, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to answer a few questions. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to give you you know two days in a row, but but I'll certainly try to you know respond and and give you a little bit of the best I know. No, I greatly appreciate that. I mean, at the end of the day, the hope for us is that we've got you know some sort of replicable business model that we can uh, you know start to you know spread out in other areas. So yeah, yeah. well, I mean, you're you're what what you're doing is not new. 
Um, I mean, you know, there's everything from Azure standard to, um, you know, to, I mean, we ship, we ship nationally uh, as well, you know, uh, um, through UPS. And um, so, you know, what you're doing is not new. There are certainly people that are, that are doing it uh, even at much larger scale than us. Um, and, and there are platforms um you know there's gray's cart there's farm match there's 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 a a whole host of uh of of integrated platforms to to do the kind of farm to to direct that you're mating i think what you're going to find is that you are going to have to really separate out your wholesale and your retail uh clientele there's going to be a, a pretty substantial price difference on your retail and your wholesale and those are going to be um, those are going to actually be pretty de uh, 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 different, different kinds of um, of, of threads uh, of threads of market. Great advice. All right, awesome. Well, thank you again, Mr. Son. Yeah, thank you. Great well, advice, sir. So, look, I know we're I know we're at ten. I want to honor the hour. I know we have a couple more hands, but I want to honor your time. So, are you are you at a? I'm you, I'm, you... I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I've got I've got to go bail hay in a while, but uh, but uh, for now for now I'm good. Uh, let's, You're awesome. If, if folks are folks are on a roll, we can uh, uh, we, we can roll on for at least you know uh, 15, 20, I mean whatever. I, I don't want to give you thank a, you, sir. So time, but, yeah. the, the last couple hands that are up, Jen, to make sure they're nice and good questions, and and then those will be the last hands, gents. Okay. But when, when I when, when I have to go, I'll tell you. But um, otherwise, you, otherwise I'm 110 percent with you. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you, sir. Jaron, go ahead, sir, out there in California. Oh, sir. Um, yes, I mean, I kind of had the same question. I'm, we're, we're here in California and we have five acres. And, um, same questions before that, just on um, making use of your land. So you answered a lot of that question. Um, and But uh, is there, do you have like resources? Like um, I, I used to mention something about five acres. Um, let's see, what'd you say? The book, uh, Five Acres, uh, Five Acres and in Independence. Do you have any other resources like that um, that would kind of help us? We're trying to not really make a profit. Um, we just want to have a place to cons. Right now, Jaron. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, the 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 amount of homestead type resources is. I mean, I, I can't even begin to go into it uh, all there. Yeah, there's five acres. That that was, um, I'm trying to look at the book there on my, I don't think that book right there on my shelf. I can't, um, but it, but the, the author is Kloss, K-L-O-S-S, -S, I think was five acres and five acres and independence or something like that. That's, that's a classic. Mm. Um, yeah, and there are, there are just so many of those, um, those early, a lot of them were written in the 1970s during the hippie back to the land movement, and they're still current. They're still great, wonderful, wonderful resources. Um, I would recommend mine for livestock, Polyface Micro, um, mm. how to how to handle livestock on a very small acreage, um, and and so there are others. Um, so yeah, there's there's plenty of there, there's a lot of there's a lot of material out there. That's great stuff. Yeah, and Polyface Micro. Um, I was just talking to do you, you know John uh, Lovell? Um, are, are you familiar with him at all? So I know John's going to be speaking out there at Homesteaders of America as well. Um, but uh, we were just talking about that because he was adding cattle uh, out to his his ranch out there, and um, huh? 
in Georgia as well. So we were talking about all the resources and the things that you've put together. So yeah, Polyface Micro guys, uh, Jaron, Polyface Micro, man, highly recommend. Yeah, we're trying to get out to that, that conference. I'm, I'm it's 60, 40. So good yeah. luck. Well, yeah. For your information, I can, uh, Amy, I don't, I don't know if this is real public knowledge yet. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm jumping the gun on her, but she is actively looking for a site in California to bring HOA to California. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I've, I've, Try to hook her up with uh, some opportunities there in California. Uh, Amy uh, at, at uh, Homesteaders of America is a, I call her a force of nature. And, mm -hmm. uh, and she's just the greatest in the world. And um, pretty much if, if she sets her mind to it, that this is where she needs to go, uh, chances are it's going to happen. So, um, sure. so uh, um, look, the, 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 the HOA for this year, I mean, think about this. She put that thing up. January one, and it and five thousand tickets. It was sold out by January thirty, eight months in advance. She she could have she could have done ten thousand tickets. That, that's that's the folks. That's the momentum. And, that is. Uh, and, and and I wouldn't do myself justice if I didn't tell you that my next book, which should be available in about two weeks, it's at the printers now. It's just ready to come. Uh, the title is Homestead Tsunami, good for country critters and kids, and uh, and it it it's the why of homesteading. My polyface micro was was kind of what or how to with livestock. That's my forte. But then I realized since that 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 um, people need to understand the why of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've written I've written this book to three groups of people. Again, it should be available about September one. Um, uh, I've written this to three groups of people. The first group are the people that are still in the city and trying to decide whether to jump or not. You do, do we actually jump? Do we not? All right. Um, the, the second group of people are their friends and family who think they're crazy for thinking about jumping. What? You mean you're going to go where Papa John's pizza doesn't deliver? How can you survive if Papa John's doesn't deliver? You know, to your doorstep. Um, so, so that, that's the, and this way they can get this book and just give it to them and say, here, here's why, you know, like a, like a track, like, a, you know, like, a, like, a, an, a, 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 like an apologetic uh, brochure. All right. <laughs> and then the third group of people, the third group of people are the ones who did make the jump one, two, three years ago. And they're discouraged because all the dreams and fantasies they had in their head, uh, the, the, the cow got mastitis, the cucumbers got powdery mildew. And the neighbor's dog just came and ate 10 of their chickens and they're discouraged and they need to rediscover their first love, go back to their foundations and, and, and reexamine the why and, and, be, uh, and be encouraged. So uh, anyway, uh, it's coming and I'm real, I'm real excited. Amy, Amy Fuel, one of the reasons I brought it up, Amy Fuel wrote the forward. And when she, when she got the manuscript, I asked her to write the forward. She got the manuscript. First email she sent was man. Oh man. She said, I mean, literally this is man. Oh man, this is what we've been needing, you know? And uh -huh. so, I'm really excited about the book and hope that it will just be a uh, jet fuel on this whole homestead tsunami that's um, that that's moving the country. So good. So, so is that good. conference sold out. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. Conference and oh, it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sold out. It sold out fast, man. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. it was gone. It was gone by the end of January. And I, I emailed Amy. I said, Amy, look, let's figure out how to do this. Two of them back. To, the problem is the fairgrounds won't hold more than 5,000 people. Right. So the, they won't let them bring in more than 5,000 people. So, so I said, well, why, why don't you just take a week and do two of them back to back and the, and the, the, the very distant speakers have them speak 
on on like um, uh, Thursday and Friday, the last day of the first conference, the first day of the second, they yeah. can they yeah. can either come later or go home early. And you know, those of us that are close, you know, we can come up twice. Anyway, and and it just she said she said great idea, not enough time. So so you know that, that's in her that's in her um, you know that that's in her ballpark at least for thinking in the future. That's but yeah, awesome. she she's she's a true um, she's she, the real deal. She is the real deal. Yeah, yeah. she's a, she's a killer. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, we'll get out to Cal. Got to get out to California for you, sir. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. Thank yes, you, sir. sir. Yeah, Amy's a killer, man. She's she has been she's fantastic, and she's been she's been awesome to work with, and she's a she's a phenomenal young lady. And uh, we'll go last but not least here, Clinton. Go ahead, sir. Good to see you. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Salatin, thank you so much for your time and being here today. And uh, just wanted to jump on real quick. I, I give you give you a heartfelt um, thank you. So I'm I'm out in Carmel Valley, California. Um, back right before the pandemic, my wife and I bought a 12 acre farm. And uh, read a ton of your books. It's great content. And, you know, as we were trying to figure out how to make this thing work and how to do it, can't remember if it was Fields of Farmers or You Can Farm or Family Friendly Farming, one of those three or might have, because um, Polyface, I don't, Micro wasn't out then, I don't think. Um, I'm trying to see how to make that acreage work and make it pay for itself with a couple of, uh, of old rundown uh, farm quarters above our barn. And so we decided to turn it into a farm stay. And uh, so with four pigs, two goats, and about 15 chickens, we turned it into about 22,000 uh, an acre re return just, just by running a farm stay, you know, close to the city. And got that idea, just um, one of those books you were just talking about, hey, that, you know, sometimes that can be your, your best thing. So now we're trying to stack with that. But um, my question, so thank you so much for that and the guidance and, and for what yeah, you do I for, think, for I think all this community. Yeah, you probably got that idea from uh, from my book, Your Successful Farm Business. I have a whole chapter in there where I list, where I list what I think are the are the greatest untapped opportunities coming down, and uh, and yeah, for all the other guys listening here, uh, I don't see any gals. Maybe there are some gals, but but for the other guys listening, um, uh, yeah, the the farm stay the farm stay concept, the whole recreational farm concept uh is huge uh people are are desperate to to reconnect with something authentic and um and it is a very untapped uh untapped opportunity i think and 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 people are willing to spend i mean for a lot of people let me tell you I'm, i can tell you the people that come here for for a for a five-year-old to go out and gather eggs under a chicken Mm -hmm. is as is as exhilarating as a as a disney ride believe me mm -hmm. uh, trust me on that and people are willing to spend big money for those kinds of truly authentic visceral memories um we, we live in a fantasy world and more and more parents are trying desperately to figure out how do i how do i create an authentic habitat for mm -hmm. my kids where, where everything they live is not just fantasy and 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 so the farm stay idea where people get out they 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 rub the pigs maybe they throw some slop in for them they they gather some eggs they they pull some green beans uh those kinds of things are are literally uh gold gold in our culture right now to people who are frantic to figure out how to protect their kids from an uncredentialed, inauthentic fantasy world. Oh God, absolutely, and and um, 
and yeah, that was the book. Your successful farm is like I say all for everybody on here. All of his con, all of his books that he's written, like really enjoyed, really awesome. Um, my question is, uh, with the farm crisis we're facing, you know, the average farmer is over sixty years old now. I think even older in California. Um, and and I know you addressed a little bit in this in your books, and I think that might have been like the fields of farmers, but talking about you know what is have you seen anything come out as far as an exchange type program or, or somewhere where they're starting to connect these farmers that are retiring. None of the kids want to farm or anything else or want to take it over mm. with people who don't have the economical means, but are interested. I know you talked about that. I'm just wondering, since you kind of get around everywhere, mm. have you seen anything that's starting to have any success as far as replacing the next generation? Since, since it's obviously much too expensive to buy into most of these places Great anymore. Question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a yeah, it's a it's a great question and an astute question. Uh the, the the real short answer is nothing that I've seen really there, there's nobody really in that space. Nobody's owning that space. Now there is a there's an outfit out of um I think it's Michigan called Iroquois. Mm-hmm. Um uh it's it, it's a it's a playback to the Iroquois Native Americans. Uh, but but what they do is they do no like three year no interest loans for young farmers to uh, to be able to get on something with no interest for three years, and and then after three years, um, you either you either continue with them at a at now a regular interest rate or you you pay them off with a with a with a loan that you get more from you know from another a more conventional a loan mm-hmm. agency. Um, and, and, and they, they've, they've had some traction. They've, they've done some good stuff. Um, but, but, but beyond that, um, my, my push, what I've been in this space and, you know, and every, everybody's got their, you know, their, whatever their, uh, their platform, right. To, to help to deal with this issue. Um, but what I've pushed is, is the um, is the either the collaboration or the rent kind of idea? Listen, mm-hmm. there there is not a farm in the United States, uh, a, a you know a, a, a farm that's doing beef, cattle, dairy, grain, orchard, whatever that that you can't put a a pastured poultry operation on uh, with, with portable infrastructure. So so the beauty of the what I call you know. The, the polyface platform is that the the infrastructure is mobile. If you have mobile infrastructure, you don't have to own the land that it's on. Uh, all you've got to do is be able to move it from place to place. And so this this mobile infrastructure idea allows you to lease. I mean, on, on our farm, we're we're now we're now managing. I think 16 properties, 16 properties in the immediate area, several of them are very small. I mean, you know, 10, 15 acres, a couple of them are bigger, you know, 200 acres, but, but we're managing those, but because we have mobile portable infrastructure, we can, we can, uh, we can put our, our infrastructure on land that we don't own and, uh, and be in business without jeopardizing the, the capital expense of the infrastructure. You know, if you build, if you build a barn and then things go south and you have a divorce, uh, what happens to that barn? Okay, but if all your infrastructure is mobile, then suddenly you can move it from place to place. So we've got we've got mobile mobile chick brooders, um, you know, mobile uh, turkey uh, gobbledygooks, egg mobiles, um, the broiler shelters, uh, pig 
pig, you know, station, uh, um, you know, uh, shelters, uh, shade mobiles, cow shade mobiles. I mean, all this stuff is mobile. We could basically, so, you know, so our farm, you know, we're generating, you know, uh, upwards of, you know, $4 million a year, but our entire operation could be done on a five acre owned hub with leased land in the, in the vicinity. Mm. Um, and, and so, and so, this idea of taking an, an elder, I get letters. Listen, I get letters from like 80 year old guy. I'm 80. My kids don't want the farm. I love the farm. Can you find me a young person to inherit my farm to? Mm-hmm. All right. One of our apprentices is, is, is dairying. He basically got inherited a dairy farm in Minnesota. Now it took him about you know fifteen years of of starting with six cows down here and then you know learning and experiencing and growing blah blah. But anyway, you know eventually here he is you know forty years old and he's full time on an inherited place uh, from a family that he doesn't he didn't wasn't related to. Um, so so there are those kinds. So I'm I'm encouraging folks um, to to not think that you're going to make the whole jump in one time. That's why I say. I ask, what are you doing today? Very seldom does God um, um, re- we don't normally get the opportunity of a lifetime dumped in our lap mm. without without going through the hard scrabble experience and work to to get to that point. Mm. Um, the, the reason the reason the average man has the highest earning, the highest earning decade of a man's life is between 60 and 70. And the reason is because it takes that long to accumulate the capital, to accumulate the, 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 um, the, the, the capital, the relationships, mm. and the mastery and it's supposed to be two, three C's, but I can't think of the other of all the other three C's. Um, uh, but 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 um, those three things, it takes a lifetime to accumulate. And so so, um, uh, you know, very seldom does a 20 year old suddenly get the opportunity of a lifetime dropped in their lap. So I tell us so why I'm telling people you know, the Dave Ramsey idea of, of the proximity principle, get as close as you can to where you want to be, what you want to do and who you want to mentor you. You get as close as you can to that and the opportunities will come, but you've got to show faithfulness in what, in something you've got to show faithfulness in what you're doing. That's why I'm saying bloom where you're planted, what you've got with where you are. Uh, if, if you, if you sit around, if you sit around and say, well, I, I, I can't do anything because I don't have anything. Well, make something then, um, you know, um, I, I'll finish with a story from a lady I met in uh, Edmonton, in uh, Canada. She lived in a fifth floor condominium. She wanted to farm, didn't have any money, didn't have any land. What can I do? She had one friend that had a backyard. She went to that friend. She said, would you let me put a little vegetable garden in your backyard? I just want to grow something. Friend said, sure. You know, here, take this little spot here, put your garden in. She put a garden in. Well, the next neighbor over looked at the garden and said, hey, that's really pretty. You think your friend would put a garden in my, in my backyard? Well, I'll ask her. So she goes, she puts a garden in a neighbor's backyard. When I met her 18 months later, she was farming. She was farming almost 20 backyards, had left her job, 
full-time. Her whole farming infrastructure was hand tools. She put on her bicycle. She bicycled from her farm plots to her farm plots for her farm plots, had a full, full bore business running. Uh, the name of it was On Borrowed Ground. Is that not the prettiest uh -huh. thing you've ever heard? And, uh -huh. and so my, my, my point, my point is that, that, that we've raised a generation of whiners, victims and entitlement folks. Mm. And, and, and what you have to do is you have to uh, um, get yourself together and, 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 and invent and create and punch through and do something where you are with what you've got, no matter what it is. And that faithfulness, that faithfulness will re, will be rewarded down the line. And that's the way we get these young people to get access. You're exactly right to all this half. Listen, in the next 15 years, next 15 years, half of all America's agriculture equity, that's land, buildings, and equipment, half of all of it is going to be transferred to the next generation. So the next generation has to step up to the plate and be savvy, entrepreneurial, and innovative, and faithful and the and the amount of opportunity facing bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, entrepreneurial young people that 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 are interested in no vacations and working eighty hours a week for nothing to show their faithfulness, the opportunities for those people are absolutely limitless. Mm -hmm. I mean, Clinton, does it get any better than that? No, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, oh, Joel, I have, are you, a, Joel, are you okay with hugs? Because when I see you in October, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop myself. If you tell me ahead of time, look, just shake my hand, then I'll do that. Otherwise I'm going to be hugging you, sir. Uh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm a hugger. I love hugs. That's okay, great. Good. Good. Cause it's coming. So man, I, oh, I could not be more grateful for you. So the final thing we want to make sure that we can support, not just tell people where to go and go, but like, we want to make sure we can support. We're going to make sure as this goes out that we're talking about Homestead Tsunami. And I want to promote the book that is coming out too. We want to tag everything for Polyface Farms. Is there anything else we can do to just support you, Polyface, what you're doing? What's the best thing Apogee as an organization can do to support you, sir? Uh, well, um, I mean, this this is this has been great. It's always a delight and an honor to to be with you. Um, uh, I, I call this uh, stoking the boiler. Yes, <laughs> this sir. is stoking the boiler, right? And yes, uh, so I'll, I'll I mean I'll be very selfish. Certainly, yeah. Uh, by the material, we we have we have video curriculum, we have books, we have stuff. So so get the information. But secondly, uh, you know, if you're if you're kind of on the fence and you're, you know, you're in the city, you don't know where to go. You know, we ship nationwide. Shameless plug, you know, uh, Polyface Yum. We're we're glad to we're glad to ship you boxes of stuff until you find your local farmer or your own homestead or your own collaborator partner that you can, you know, that you can build something on on, on your friends your friends' uh, property there. And um, and other than that, um, no, we're we're thankful. We're glad and and. Um, it, thank you for the platform and for the discussion and oh. it's been uh, it's been just an honor to be with people that are so um so intentional and tuned in to what i uh, what i say you've got your ear to the ground and mm -hmm. and goodness gracious folks you know if look if, if we wanted to sit here and make a list of the things to be frustrated and angry about right now we could make a pretty nice list of stuff to be frustrated and angry about 
frustration and anger, it, it moves you. It moves you to run. It moves you to do new things like, like sell your house in the city and get a homestead. It moves you to do through things. But other, but, but, but um, uh, in the big picture, while it moves you to do things, it doesn't sustain you. Right. The, the, you can't run away forever. At some point, you have to embrace something. And so all the things that we're frustrated and angry about need to be inverted. We need to turn them on their head so that so that we can provide hope and help when society becomes hopeless and helpless. That is something that you can embrace and create a mission that will sustain you and your family going into the future. God bless you. Oh, my friend, you are you are amazing. Um, we'll we'll put all those things in there, but more. I mean, and I've got a not just a hug for you. I've got a gift that I'm going to be bringing to you here to the homesteaders. Thank you. But um, I, I really, I do mean it with every ounce of my being. Whatever we can do to continue to support and continue to work with you, and and um, it just we're it, we're in. You just say the word. So grateful for you, my friend. Yeah, that, that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Great. Well, thank you all. Have a have a great day and um, and keep after it. Grateful, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Matt. Thank you all. Take care. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes. Boom. If you are enjoying this conversation, and I know I definitely did enjoy this conversation, um, then we're going to invite you to be a part of what we are doing with Apogee Strong. So we have got mentorship programs for men, for young men, for our ladies. Uh, And yes, we will have mentorship programs for the young ladies to come. But these are the types of conversations we have. These are the types of mentors we bring on. We have these types of conversations with these types of mentors every single week. So we invite you to become a part of what we're doing. Head to ApogeeStrong.com and check out the men's program, the women's program, the young man's program, and start getting on board with the mission of re-educating the entire family. That is how we win. That is how we get back to sovereignty. That is how we get back to freedom. And we are inviting you and your family to be a part of the conversation.